We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, we are back for another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That's Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we're going to talk football today. I know signing day is a week away, and we'll have plenty of recruiting topics to talk about over the next week, but Notre Dame's got a pretty important bowl game to play here, and we don't want to forget that, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And yesterday we talked about the Notre Dame offense, Ryan, and today we're going to talk about the Notre Dame defense because this is a very intriguing unit. It was the unit that was primarily responsible for a lot of Notre Dame success this year. I would say that unit plus the offensive line. The other part of it, however, is even though the defense played good football for most of the year, I think in a lot of ways it underachieved. And and I think that a lot of what we saw this year was just because they happened to have pretty good players. And those good players, in spite of some other issues, I thought, did what they needed to do to win games. It was a very strange year. We we didn't see we, we didn't see this defense get ripped up until the last game of the year. Yeah, uh, at least not for a full game. You know, there's the bad half against Navy and, and things like that. But for the most part, this defense played good football all year. Mm-hmm. It never played great. It just played solid football. And I think it underachieved. And so now you go into the bowl prep and you say, okay, well, what can you do to start fixing that? And what can you do to start building some momentum going into the next season, Ryan? Because you're going to not have Isaiah Foskey, who's declared for the NFL draft. You're not going to have Cam Hart, who is injured. So you look at it and say, okay, well, this is going to give us somewhat of a – there's a chance they may not have a you know Jason Adamuel, who's who's you know trying to get healthy for the game, but that's questionable at this time from what I'm told from sources. So there's a chance this is going to look a lot different than what it was during the season. There's going to be some veterans out there that get their last crack at playing, and that's important. I want to see Tariq Bracey get that opportunity, Ryan. But at the same time, this is this is a situation where the defense has to start, number one, showing that it can be dominant, and number two, needs to start doing a better job of getting more of the young talent on the field. You can't say the defense didn't get young talent on the field because the secondary certainly did with Benjamin mm-hmm. Morrison and Jaden Mickey, but maybe not quite enough of it at certain spots, mainly linebacker, which, mm-hmm. you know, we'll discuss. But I just think overall, Ryan, as we get into the conversation of 
what we want to see from the defense in the bowl game. We're going to get into a lot of specifics, but I, I think the overarching thing for me, and I'll, I'll let you respond to it, I felt like the biggest holdup on defense all season, Ryan, was twofold. Number one, they kind of build on each other. Number one, I felt like the way that Al Golden coached all year was an overemphasis on scheme. I think one of the discussions can be fans get so disinterested with the importance of scheme that it's just all about the players. It is not. Coaching matters. Scheme matters. Putting guys in position to be successful matters. You can err on the side of underdoing it, but I feel like Notre Dame erred on the the side of overdoing it to the point where I felt like the players weren't turned loose. There was too much thinking. And I think the second part of that, Ryan, is when you overemphasize scheme more often than not, mm-hmm. you it's a situation where you're trying to play a more NFL style of football, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which is more read and react, limit big plays, you know, just it's more passive, I guess. I'll let you kind of explain that more. You watch a lot more NFL than I do, but when I when I do study NFL film, when I do look at those type of things, that's what I see. Defenses that are more trying to manage what's happening mm-hmm. as opposed to dictating. NFL offenses are too good, too complex to set the like to set the tone defensively in a lot of instances. I don't agree that's true in college. I think you need to be more of an aggressive tone setter on defense in college, and we didn't see that this year. And those two things to me were what I felt kept the defense from being as good as it should have been at mm-hmm. a lot of times this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you're talking about the NFL side of things, I mean, I mentioned in our pre-show, I'm a Rams fan, right? So I remember Brandon Staley when he was a defensive coordinator for the Rams, who's now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. That defense played really well that year, and I feel like 
you, I think you said it yesterday in the show, right, Brian? Like the NFL is a copycat league, right? Like Absolutely. that's that's always has that's been. What, that's what it is, and they see successes that people like Brand Staley have, where their 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 scope is: give me Jalen Ramsey, give me Aaron Donalds, and I am going to play off of you. Let my guys be guys. But they want offenses to have to put together long drives, a lot of plays, eight, nine, ten play drives, because the thought process is the more plays that the offense runs, the more opportunity they have to make a mistake. That's where it comes down to, right? If you only have a four-play drive, you have less of a chance to make a mistake than if you have a ten-play drive. I mean, it's just again, it's it's law right. of averages. And I think that's where the NFL is right now. And I, I do think there's something to that as far as I mean, we can't discount that Al Golden has been in the NFL for several years before right. this, right? That's where his that's where his ties have been. He was just a linebacker coach for a team in Cincinnati, the Bengals, that kind of run similar kind of philosophy. You know, they're going to play a little off coverage. They're going to let teams make mistakes, you know, in longer drives. So Ryan, I think there is – can't f- also dismiss who his head coach was when he was a defensive coordinator the last time. It was, it was Al Groh who yeah. came from the NFL, who was yeah. did a lot of very NFL-ish type of things when he was at UVA. So I think it's, it's those two things combined. Mm-hmm. And, and look, Al Golden did a good job this year. And right. he did not do a bad job. We're not saying he did a bad job. We're not saying the defense was bad. We started off at the very beginning saying the defense was a primary driver of the team's success. But it's not about saying, okay, well, if that's true, then, well, we just have to accept whatever happened. No, right. it needed to be better. And, and yeah. th- to your point, you watch him play, Ryan, and you can't help but be like, yeah, this isn't what the best teams in de- on defense in college are doing. This doesn't mm-hmm. even really fit. I'll give you an example, and you can speak to this. Yeah. One of the things I when I first got concerned, it was during the Marshall week. Because okay. what was the question that I asked after the Ohio State game? I said, let's see if Al Golden can be this good when he's only got a week to prepare. Because there was a lot of complexity in that in that scheme against Ohio State, especially coverage-wise. A lot of complexity, which is what threw yeah. – uh, CJ Stroud off that game but can you do this when you only have four games four practices basically to prepare as opposed to an entire offseason sure and that was an issue at times it, it led to why they weren't good at halftime adjustments like if the defense came out playing well early they were just going to play well for the most part but if they if teams started to find holes we didn't see this defense counter punch a lot schematically because I feel like they put so much into the scheme that it was hard to then go and when you have complex stuff and complex adjustments, it's hard to then add new complex adjustments in 15 minutes at halftime. Right. And so what what I was told, and I and I made you aware of this at the time, I was told by a couple multiple sources, at least two off the top of my head that I can think of, might have been three, that called me up on Wednesday and they were like, Yeah, this is strange. I'm like, okay, what's up? They're like, yeah, so they came in today and completely changed the defensive game plan. And they said that they were switching from a run-oriented game plan to a pass-oriented game plan. Thinking, hold, hold, hold on a second. Uh, uh, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? Like, I didn't know that was a thing in college. And I'm thinking, first of all, have you watched Marshall? Did you watch <laughs> Marshall against Norfolk State? Have you seen their quarterback? Why would you be fit, focusing on a – a pass-oriented game plan. What we said was shut down the run and make Hunter Columbia beat you. 
And they didn't do that. They allowed Marshall to run all over them, and that's why they lost the game. And so, but the bigger problem was why did, how did, that doesn't make any sense to me. You're switching from a run-oriented game plan to a defensive, a pass game-oriented game plan. This is college football, man. you got to be able to play both. And what we saw this season is this team against good teams had a hard time shutting down both. They stopped Ohio State pass game and left themselves completely vulnerable to the run in the second half. Yeah, they kept the Marshall pass game in check for the most part, but they allowed them to just run it all over them. Right. Yeah, they kept Caleb Williamson ripping off a bunch of big pass game numbers. He didn't throw for a ton of yards. He didn't make a ton of big plays in the pass game. But then mm-hmm. that made them vulnerable to the run game. The Austin Jones runs for a bunch of yards. And then it also made them vulnerable to Caleb Jones throwing the football. And so we saw a lot of those things this year, Ryan, where they had trouble kind of playing both well. They were kind of we'll, we'll take one away and just hope that the other one doesn't rip us up. And mm-hmm. I and I think that that's something that uh I think is problematic. And I think it leads to that early thought of, well, in college, you got to be able to play both, right? When you play the Kansas city chiefs, it's, you got to figure out a way to shut down the pass game, right? Mm-hmm. If they're going to run it on you 40 times, great. That means Patrick <laughs> Mahomes isn't throwing it. That's a win, right? <laughs> That's not the case in college where teams just tend to be more balanced. And I think that that is something that I feel like is going to need to be an adjustment for coach golden as he does get back into being more of the college game is to understand that you have to be able to be good at both and it has to be more player driven. I think that was something that concerned me, Ryan. And we saw that I, in my opinion, we saw that play out all year, Mm -hmm. which is just more of a, and and it just reminded me more and more and more of kind of what you have seen from the NFL the last decade, as opposed to what you see from successful college teams. Well, and with, with, with this bowl game coming up, Ryan, to your point where, Isaiah Fossey's not playing. Cam Hart's not playing. Jason Anamola may not play. We'll see what the end result is there. You, you're gonna. It's it's a litmus it's a litmus test for Coach Golden because now you can't just say, okay, you know, we're we're gonna do what we do, but then when we need a big moment, Isaiah Fossey's gonna make it right, or you know, Jason Anamola is gonna make a big play, or you know, our stars are gonna save us, right? You're gonna be playing a lot of younger guys more than you were anyway. You're going to be playing players that have not been thrust into that star role that have to be money players to make a big play when it matters most. So I think this is a big test for Al Golden because this is going to show a lot of what, if there is a changing of identity, right? Like I think that there could be, does it stay the same? Is there any new nuances to the game? I think that we're going to see a lot in this bowl game. So I, I actually think it's an evaluation period of, what the defense's identity is going to be moving forward. You know, does he understand that some things that he did did not work well and he has to make adjustments. And you talked about the lack of adjustments during game. I want to see if there's a, if there's adjustments from these 15 practices from this after season now to bowl game perspective, right? Like I think that those things matter. And I think that it's a, it's going to be an interesting just case study to see how this defense is going to operate because you can't just lean on your stars in this game, right? You have to find players that can make plays in certain instances and put them in the position to make the play. So that's what I'm most curious about is just how much growth he'll have because there is part of me that says we knew coming into this year that Al Golden hadn't been a defensive coordinator in a long time, right? That had not happened. So, you know, does he start to get this turned around? Do adjustments start getting made? Or is what we saw this year 
what he is. You know, is that just is that all all that Al Golden is as a defense coordinator? Again, not a bad defensive coordinator. I I fought back against somebody in the chat yesterday or the day before where they were saying that it was a he's a bad defensive coordinator. I'm like, no, he's a good defensive coordinator. The question is if he's a great defensive coordinator or an elite defensive coordinator. Those things I don't know right now, but we'll see. Or even really good. I mean, yeah, like sure. I I don't know if like I don't think Clark Lee was elite. I, I have a very small number of people that are elite. What he was, however, was really good. I don't know if I would call Marcus Freeman an elite defensive coordinator because we didn't see him at Notre Dame long enough, right? He was borderline that level uh, that way at the in the AAC, but at Notre Dame, it was one season. It was a pretty good season. It started off. You know, you had some of the new system issues that then bled into the first month. But then after that, the last month of the season, they were really, really good. Uh, to me, it's, it's you know, Mike Elko was really good. So you've had three straight really good defensive coordinators. Al Golden wasn't there this year, in my opinion. But I think there's a lot of things that have to make you say, okay, that's the analysis of what it was in 2022. It doesn't mean that that's always going to be who he is. To your point, he hasn't been a coordinator in a long time. He is adjusting to the college game. The question is, will he be willing to adjust to the college game? Or is he going to double down and say, well, once the players get more time in our scheme, they'll have understand it better. That's the concern. And with guys that are really smart scheme-wise, and make no mistake, Al Golden is really, really smart scheme-wise. The concern is is that they don't don't go back on it. They just say, well, as we get more kids that fit our system, Mm -hmm. or as as kids get more experience in the system, they'll do better. And I hope that that's not the case. I hope it's it's a happy medium. This the mm-hmm. kids will pick up more, and you will have the ability to do some more things as they get more experience in your system. Yeah. But and 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 I think it's it's especially at the linebacker level is really a big part of this. I think the linebacker and safety play is pretty complex. Corner, not so much. It's just mm-hmm. go be a dude, and that's good. <laughs> I felt like the defensive line. Well, well, we'll kind of dive into some of the specifics a little bit, right? But. It, this is the first chance we're going to get to see if he is willing to make some of those adjustments because there's two ways to look at this bowl game. And it was popping in my head as you were kind of talking about what they're not going to have. You're going to say, well, we don't have Isaiah Foskey. We don't have Cam Hart. We may not have Jason Amiola. So we've got to really double down on getting real creative with our scheme to make sure we don't get ripped. That's one way of looking at it. That's my concern. That's the, That's my worst fear scenario is that they say, well, we don't have our dudes in this game, so we can't afford to let the guys play because we don't have our best guys in the field. The flip side is, okay, yeah, you don't have those guys, but what do you have? And what you do have is still some pretty good football players, some young ones, but some pretty good football players. So do less. Make sure that they know exactly what they're doing. Very fundamentally sound. You know what your checks are. You know what your alignments are. You know what your job is. Limit the scheme. Emphasize playing fast and flying to the ball. And then any mistakes they may make, allow their athleticism and speed to make up for those mistakes. And allow the aggressiveness to make up for those mistakes. That's the opposite side. And so... What I'm curious to see is where does Al Golden fit in this spectrum, right? (laughs) Is he over here, over here in the middle, 
that's going to tell us a lot about just like we talked about yesterday. If Tommy Reese just comes out on on the thirtieth and just same old same old, it's mm-hmm. like well maybe that is who he is, right? I don't understand why he would do that, but maybe that is who he is. Or yeah. is he going to come out and say okay, we've got to make some adjustments based on who we have and who you mm-hmm. know and and what we don't have anymore, but focus on what we have. And we're going to come out and we're going to do A, B, C, and D. It's going to be fun. We're going to move the ball. We're going to score some points, and we're going to get ready to go into next year. Sure. Same thing's true here. Is Al Golden going to say, well, we don't have this, we don't have this, so let's just hopefully go out and just kind of get through this, and then we'll make some adjustments in the offseason? Or are they going to use this opportunity to say, hey, look, let's let's do some things. Let's get Jalen Sneed teed up. Let's get Nolan Ziegler teed up. Let's get Gabriel Rubio ready to go. Let's get – you know, uh, Josh Burnham may be ready to give you five, 10 snaps in this game. Let's, let's get Jordan Patelho and see what he can do as a, as an edge rusher. Let's see what Justin Adam can do as a pure Viper instead of a hybrid guy that moves all around, but let's let these kids go play and play fast. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's whatever role Marist has limit what he's being asked to do and just, you know, go right. Those are things that I want to see Ryan. Yeah. And if we don't see those, it's going to tell me, okay, he doesn't think he's the problem. He -hmm. thinks it's the lack of experience that kids have in his system. It's, well, we don't have the length that I want. We don't have this that I want. We don't have that that I want, right? That's the excuses we've heard in the past. Well, why don't you do this? Well, we don't have this. We don't have that. Okay. Or is it, you know what? This is what we have. Mm -hmm. This is how we need to, this is how we can maximize these kids ability as opposed to how can these kids maximize my scheme? I think yeah. big picture, that's going to be the biggest thing that we're going to see. Let's dive into some practicalities of it. Mm-hmm. My big first, I think the first question mark is going to be answered up front. If you don't have Foskey, there's going to be a desire by a coach who's scheme. What do scheme driven coaches primarily use their defensive line for? Occupying blocks to free up the schemed stuff, right? (laughs) Linebacker fires, safety fires, corner fires, stuff like that, right? Isn't that that kind of how it is? Yeah. Occupy blocks, let other guys flow. Yeah. Right. And so you don't have Foskey. So does he say, okay, well, now we've really got to double down on that. Or is he going to say, okay, we've got Patelho, we've got Justin Adamiola, we've got, you know, some of these kids, Howard Cross is healthy. He's had a good year. We got Riley Mills. Let's turn him loose. Let's figure out ways to say, let's let these kids go play, you know, and that's going to be the first, if we come out and see these guys two gapping and eating up blocks for the linebackers, then we're going to know nothing has changed. So that's the first thing for me, Ryan, is I want to see him turn this defensive line loose a little bit. And I think against this particular matchup, I think that would make a lot of sense when you look at the quarterback and the offensive line that South Carolina has, Ryan. I mean, no doubt about that. I mean, if, you, if you've watched the South Carolina offensive line this year, they have some size up front, but this has kind of been the running trend of them over the last few years. They have big guys at the offensive line position, but they don't have great feats, right? So I think you've seen that against the better defenses they've played, there's a lot of pressure that's able to be made up front. And that's both in as a pass rusher, that's both and the run game as far as just giving up that penetration. That that's the offensive line. And then Spencer Rattler, he's a he's a talented kid, great thrower of the football as far as just pure arm strength and qu- wicked quick release, all those great things. But we know that Spencer Rattler is a 
he's not great against chaos. He's not great against pressure. He he folds a little bit in the pocket. He does at times, right? When he when the game comes quick, he'll settle on that back foot. He'll throw off his back foot. He'll he'll do those things. We've seen Spencer Rattler have issues with turnovers. We've seen him have issues with those types of things. So this is a game, which has been the case for most of the year, where you want to play a more one gap style, right? Like your defensive line, you want to be aggressive, shoot gaps, create penetration. And Brian, I mean, it's 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 maddening to me that there have been moments this year where you're just like, yes, they have just tried to occupy blocks when we knew going into the year, they don't have a lot of size at the interior defensive line spot into the season, right? Like Riley Mills is a defensive end, obviously in this system now. So they're working with guys that are six foot, six foot one, 270 something pounds in Howard Cross. And then, I mean, Jason Malola is the big guy at six, two and a half and 285 pounds, right? Like you don't have a ton of size, size inside. So my initial thought would be, well, kill him with speed, kill him with quickness. That's That's how you beat him. And I think in this game, that doesn't change. None, none of your the, – the fact that Notre Dame should be a one-gap style defense that is a penetration-laden system should not change in this football game because you're going against a, a not-great offensive line. Their best running back has already opted out of this football game. Their quarterback does not handle pressure very well. Attack them, man. Attack them. Let's look at let's look at some numbers, right? So let's yep. let's talk about the quarterbacks that Notre Dame has faced this year. Okay, and just kind of put this into context because I think I think context is the best way to show things. We can say, hey, well, he's not good here, he's not good there, but let's actually kind of talk about it. Okay. So let's first of all look at Notre Dame's quarterback, Drew Pine. This year, Notre Dame, Drew Pine, this is using pro football focus numbers. So again, what do we always say about pro football focus? Grading system sucks, data collection is pretty good. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Okay. Uh Drew Pine this year, when under pressure, he had uh, 87 dropbacks where he was under pressure. He threw 60 passes in those situations, completed 53.3% of his passes, six touchdowns, one interception, averaged 7.4 yards per attempt. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, not bad. It's actually right? not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. it's not bad. Uh, you'd like to see maybe a few more big plays, but I think that's just a byproduct of sort of the different things that they did schematically you know, mm-hmm. which had to protect him in some other instances. So you kind of understand it a little bit, right? So let's go to some other quarterbacks that Notre Dame played this year, Ryan. And and I'm going to go next to Drake May, who I thought was a pretty good player. And I thought a kid that got pressured a decent amount this year. Would you agree with that? Yes. Especially late in the year. Yep. Drake May, a lot more pressure. So Drake May was under pressure on 219 snaps this season, which is well over half. So Drew Pine pressured on 87 uh, uh, dropbacks where he was pressured, 207 dropbacks where he was not pressured. Okay, Drake May, I'm sorry, it's, it's um, trying to think what's total dropback numbers. It's about half of his dropbacks, okay? He was pressured 219 times and kept clean 378 times. Drake May completed 444% of his passes, uh, 6.6 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns, four picks. Not great, right? Huh. Caleb Williams went under pressure this year. 178 dropbacks where he was pressured. 337 where he was kept clean. 52.5% completion, which is okay, but he averaged 8.7 yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns, no picks. <laughs> That's really clutch under pressure, right? 
Yes. Uh, C.J. Stroud this year, n- not great. This was an issue for C.J. Stroud this year. Mm-hmm. On He was only pressured 80 times and kept clean 299 times. But he only completed 40.6% of his throws and 5.7 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, two picks. Right? Mm. Not not good. No. Here's Spencer Rattler. Oh, no. He was pressured on 138 dropbacks and kept clean on 283 dropbacks. He completed 33% of his passes. So what we showed you, the spectrum of the really good to the eh, not great. 33% completion rate when pressured. 4.8 yards per attempt. Five touchdowns. Seven interceptions. Yuck. And he had 12 turnover-worthy plays, which is an 8.7% number. Stroud had seven. Uh, Caleb Williams had four. Drake May had the most at 10 of that. And that was on 219 dropbacks compared to 138 for Spencer Rattler. And Drew Pine had two. (laughs) So that's the data, Ryan, to back up what you just said. When Spencer Rattler gets pressured, and I'm not talking blitzes because he's actually got decent numbers against the blitz. When blitzed, he completes 59.2% of his passes, five touchdowns and four picks. All right, because when you blitz a guy, his decision-making is easier because it's a bunch of Mm one-on-ones. It's when you pressure him with four- and five-man pressures or zone fires where you've got more guys in coverage, that's when he struggles. And and so the numbers tell the story, Ryan, which is Mm -hmm. this is not a guy that you want to just let sit back through a clean pocket. And it's not necessarily the answer to go out and heat him up with six, seven guys. So the key, the answer is, can your offensive line or defensive line put pressure on him? Mm-hmm. Can you find ways to do four-man zone fires with your linebackers, you know, where you may be a blitz Marist off the edge and drop Jason Adamiola into coverage, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the question that we're going we're gonna to find out in this game, Ryan, is whether or not he can do that. And and whether or not he can find ways to, you know, keep his team or keep keep him keep that quarterback off balance. And when you talk about pass protection, an offensive line that you said is big, but mm-hmm. not the most mobile line. They ranked 82nd in the country this year in sacks allowed. So that's going to be a big key, and that's going to be very telling about whether or not Al Golden is willing to kind of let this team kind of turn pin their ears back and go play. Mm-hmm. Is that right there? Is does he does he let him heat him up with the front first, right? Because if the front's aggressive, Ryan, I believe this. If the front's aggressive, it makes blitz pressures so much more effective. That's right. part of the reason why Brent Venables' blitzes at Clemson were so effective. The linebackers is because they weren't blitzing where their defensive linemen were eating up gaps. Their defensive linemen were pushing, and then the linebackers are coming right behind them. So once the linebacker got through the line of scrimmage, he was already two, three yards past the, the, the where the ball was snapped. Where Notre Dame's kind of stalemating, and then the linebackers are trying to get through like at the line of scrimmage or like a yard in. That's mm-hmm. going to be key number one for me. And and sign number one of whether or not Al Golden is starting to maybe look at what they did this year, spend some time self-scouting and say, you know, we did some good things this year. They did. They did some good things. But mm-hmm. what kept us from really taking that next step and then start to make those adjustments. And to me, this is step number one. It's it's also a misuse of what you have from a player perspective, too. I mean, because like I said, and like you just kind of reiterated, 
South Carolina does have a big offensive line. It's just not overly athletic. So if you have a clear athleticism advantage and you're a little bit undersized up front, I mean, what are we doing, right? Like, why are, why are you asking guys to play straight down a man and anchor against double teams and do that type of stuff? Like, that's not – it's not going to let Howard Cross be as good as he can be. It's not going to let whoever is playing the other defensive tackle spot be as talent as good as they possibly can, right? Your defensive ends – you lose length, obviously, with Isaiah Foskey out, but you still have some good athletes at defensive end, man. Like Justin Amalola can move. If it's Joshua Burm, if it's Inga Byer getting a little bit of PT, if it's Jordan Batelho, like you have some speed. You have some athleticism. So limiting those guys to be two-gapping type players to play straight down a man, that's not using your – that's not using skill sets to the best advantage, right? It's just – it's common sense for everyone. You know, it's – do I want six foot, two hundred and seventy pound Howard Cross playing straight down a six five, three hundred twenty pound man? Like that's not that's not going to work in his favor. But what can work in his favor is, hey, let's get a little movement up front. Maybe slants across that guy's face. Now he is able to clear that block and get into the backfield because that guy doesn't have the ability to recover against the quickness of Howard Cross. Those are the ways to take advantage of what you have up front. And I mean. Brian, honestly, it's a, it's a really bad sign that we're having this conversation 13 games into the season. I mean, it is. Well, it we really saw is. we saw it at times. Right? I know. I mean, at times he would let them go, and that's when they would take over games. And it was really a, a decent number of times we would see him do this. But then they'd get into situations in the second half where they'd have a lead and they'd go away from it, or they'd get into situations – it was almost like I don't want to say this. I don't want to say that they coach scared because that is really disrespectful to say, and it's not what I mean. But I'm trying to think of a word to properly use in some of the games. Like Navy, I felt this way in November. I really felt this way a lot. I felt this way Just against like USC. Conservative or passive, passive, almost yeah. like they yeah. were. Again, I don't know what word to use other than afraid or scared, but I don't really mean them that way because I feel like using fear is mm-hmm. to describe a football coach or player is a is like one of the worst insults you can give. And I don't yeah. mean it that way. I'm just not quite sure what better passive might be the best way to best word to use. Where it just let's not it's like let's not get burned. Let's not Reserved. get burned. Yeah, yeah. passive. I think is probably the way I'll go with it, Ryan and. We didn't see that all the time, but we did see that then. And it's not hesitant because it wasn't hesitating then going. It was it was sitting back. You know, it wasn't really turning it up. And so then what was happening is when you, you know, the danger of dropping seven or dropping eight in the coverage is if your front doesn't get there and you're dropping guys in the coverage, you got a mobile quarterback. And once he gets to that first line, there's all this open space, which is exactly what we saw Caleb Williams take advantage of. And instead of saying, hey, look, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down doing what we do, and and we're going to go down playing our game. And if you're better than us, more power to you. Sure. And I don't think this situation is. So I want to see him come out and let these kids attack, have some fun, let these kids attack, and get after it. And I think that also will help the linebackers a ton because just on the whole, we don't need to spend a lot more time on it, Ryan, because we've harped on it all year. (laughs) <laughs> but outside of a couple game stretch in November, the linebacker play this year just wasn't good. I think J.D. Bertrand was better than a lot of Notre Dame fans give him credit for. Mm-hmm. But I still don't think he was as good as he should have been, nearly as good as he should have been. Part of it was his own fault with the targetings, right? I mean, sure. 
you know, you basically missed a full game because of targeting. But the other two linebacker spots were up and down and and at times just not being used. I thought Jack Kaiser had some moments where he was really good this year. Mm-hmm. And then other times when you're like, boy, he's just he's just just not able to run you know with those guys because of his lack of length. Like, or he's able to run, but he can't hang with those guys because he just his lack of length. And then at times, like he just looked like he wasn't sure on committing to a route and he got behind, just was up and down. You yeah. know, like some weeks I thought, I mean, Navy game, I thought he was great. Was it BC? There was another game in November. I thought Jack was really good. I think it was BC game. I thought Jack mm-hmm. was really good. And then the USC game, you're like, oh gosh, it's not good. You know, yeah. and and then Maris was just he had like he had two good football games in a row, and then just before and after just was not good. I mean, it's just yeah. it was bad. I mean, it's yeah. it's hard to justify or explain why other guys did get more snaps there. And yep. we try not to be the whole well when something's not working, just play the next guy. This is what we push back on when we come to the offensive line early. Oh, just bench Josh Lug and bench this guy, and bench Zeke Corral. And it's like, no, that's not the answer. Just let this line come together and let's mm-hmm. let it play out a little bit. And then eventually pretty quickly by the end of September line was playing really well. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when something goes on in a whole, for basically a whole season, you're like those couple good games were the anomaly now, right? Right. Not the rule. And, and so I just don't see how you can justify not giving some of those kids more time. Yeah. Will they do it or not? I don't know, but I mean, I hope that Maris comes out and plays a great game mm-hmm. because he's talented. I mean, he's athletic. You know, I'm starting to use that word more than talent. But at this point in time, I don't see how Prince Colley doesn't play more in this bowl game, Ryan. And that that right there, that decision right there is going to tell me a lot about whether or not they're willing to, to um, really make some of the harder decisions about this is will we see more Jalen Sneed, a linebacker, or are they just going to use them, you know, put them on the edge and let them rush the quarterback? Mm-hmm. Will we see Prince Colley get a chance to play more linebacker? Because the thing that troubles me is some of the things I've heard about what they're doing bowl prep wise. It's like all the linebackers that could potentially compete with JD and Marist are moving to Viper. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, mm, why? Right. You know what I mean? How many freaking Vipers do you need? Right. And so I, if I don't see Prince Colley in this game, if I don't see Jalen Sneed, or in this game, in some if I don't see Nolan Ziegler at least in some capacity in this game, then I'm going to say, okay, nothing's changed. It's still about the scheme, and the mm-hmm. only reason the veterans are playing is because they know the scheme better than the younger kids. It's the only sure. justification for not playing those guys right now, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. You got to see what Prince can do. I mean, because you know what Marist is now. He's a senior. He he was the same guy this year that he was in 2020. Mm-hmm. athletic, rangy, incredibly undisciplined, often didn't look like he knew how to react to what was happening. Yeah. Am I, am I missing something? You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And especially with how Notre Dame's recruited linebacker over the last couple of years. Right. I mean, talk, you talked about Prince Kali. You talked about Jaden Sneed, uh, Jaden Sneed, excuse me. You talked about Nolan Ziegler. Junior Tua Lamaka, we know, is playing a little bit more Viper right now than off ball these days. But then coming in next year as well, I mean, you're going to have Drake Bowen come to campus. You're going to have Preston Zinter. Linebacker talent is not going to be an issue at Notre Dame, and it's not an issue now, right? right? It's me, not. Me, what does that mean, Ryan? When you say linebacker talent's not an issue, are you basically saying 
it's not an excuse to not play other guys. You can't say, yeah. well, we got to play Maris because the talent difference is so great. There's there's two excuses that can't happen right now. One, you can't – with look, J.D. had some really nice moments last year. We were fully – like in the preseason, you heard me many times say he was good last year. There were a couple games where he wasn't as good, right? But he played really well considering that he was kind of just – pressed into duties that would have been Maris Loyfowl's going into the year. J.D. played well. You have no excuse to not get more out of J.D. Bertrand, Maris Loyfowl, and Jack Kaiser this year. That, that starting group for one. You don't have excuses there because Jack played better last year. J.D. played better last year. They did. And then you also don't have excuses. If that's not working and it's not coach-driven, maybe a couple of players just did not take a step forward, and you have no excuses not to get the better athletes on the field if that's what you perceive them to be. Like we know how we know how athletic Jalen Sneed is. We've only seen it very sparingly this year. But even going back to the recruiting days, you know how special of an athlete he is. You know Nolan Ziegler is a really impressive athlete as well. You know Prince Kali, who was Mr. Football in the state of Tennessee, was the Buckus Award winner for best linebacker in America coming out of high school. You know how talented that kid is. So if your linebackers aren't getting it done because they haven't taken a step forward, there's no excuse not to get some of the younger, potentially more talented players on the field. Like there's no excuses. So one, you have no excuse for not getting more out of your starting unit for one. And two, you don't have any excuses not to replace them if they're not playing well. You don't. Right. There's there's, there's something that right. isn't right in that linebacker room right now. There isn't. Right. Now that's also going to tell us, how how the linebacker rotation is handled in the bowl game is going to tell us a lot about what Al Golden views as the problem. And and to me, I want to see a twofold thing. I want to see the younger players playing more while also limiting the scope of what you're doing. If we see him simply replace the veterans with younger players but still do what he's doing, he's basically saying, "My I wasn't the problem. My scheme, the fact that my entire position group underperformed this year, it's not my fault. It's them. I'm going to replace them with younger guys. Or he's going to play the veterans and say they didn't play well. It was, really, there's four options. I'm not, as I'm talking, option number two is that's so the first one's not good. It's not good. Don't just blame the players, put new guys in and keep doing the same thing that you've been doing. Second big concern is, he says, "Well, I'm I I got to make it. You know, I we can't. We've got to keep doing what we're doing. The kids will figure it out, like I said earlier. And then he still plays the older guys because the younger guys still don't have the full grasp that he needs to make all the adjustments. Right. So it's just more of the same. Option number three is better, but still not ideal. And that is, look, these kids underperformed, and it was my fault. I'm not going to throw them under the bus because I didn't do a good enough job." So we're going to limit things. We're going to give these kids a chance in the bowl game to go out and perform in a system that is more geared towards what they do well and then let them go play and then see how they do. I don't love that idea, but I would understand that idea and, and be somewhat, okay, at least he recognizes. And then the fourth thing is to me the ideal, which is that is true that they didn't necessarily play well and part of it is your fault. But with Maris, it's a little different. With Jack, when I thought Jack struggled, it's like there was some uncertainty of what he was supposed to do. Or he just got bad matchups. He's barely six feet tall, and he'd go against taller, faster guys. 
with Marist, it was like, I don't know what he's doing right now. Like there were literally times this year, Ryan, where we were like, I don't know like what he was supposed to do. He was so out of position and doing something so completely different than everyone else. I can't possibly fathom what he was supposed to do. I never had that complaint with Jack. With yeah. Jack, it was he took a bad angle. He was late reacting. He was uncertain, but he ended up where he was supposed to be. He would just get there late, and when you get there late as a linebacker, that's the difference between a four-yard ta- a tackle for a four-yard gain and a 40-yard touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that. hey, I knew what I was supposed to do. I just reacted slowly because I wasn't sure. And where Maris is like, where's he going? Why is he running the opposite direction of everybody else? He's he's covering like hook to curl on an inside zone. Yeah. Like and and so those are those are things where like I don't know if I can buy the coaching being the problem for Marist. Right. I think you could use that as as a justification for why JD wasn't as good and mm-hmm. why Jack struggled at times. I don't think you can use it as a as a, for Marist. So to me, if you want to still play Jack and JD and then get Prince Collie queued up and say we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna scale back things a little bit, let these kids play because these kids can run a little bit. Then that's kind of the ideal for me. I would still like to say I still want to see Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler get a shot to get some rover snaps. Sure. Because as much as I like Jack, he's a limited player when you start talking about matching up against the Bamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, not the Clemsons, um, the USC's, the Ohio States of the world. He he did. We saw that against North Carolina. That was the one position on defense that kind of struggled all game was Jack trying to cover a spread offense. He just couldn't do it. He was always a step behind. So that's the ideal, Ryan, but there's it's kind of a wide spectrum there, and I don't know what we're going to see, but what we need to see is that last part. I'm not saying bench JD, bench Jack, bench Maris, all of them, sit them, don't play them. I'm not saying right. that. They have earned the right to play, but I but I think Prince Collie has as well. Prince mm-hmm. needs to play a bunch. I want to see a little bit of Jalen and a little bit of Nolan. Let them play, and if they're playing well, go ride them a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I wanted to see Junior Talamak at Mike. I, 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 the biggest concern I had is why they moved him to Viper fully for the bowl game because he was playing both during the season. Mm-hmm. That concerns me a little bit. Yeah, because it's like, okay, so you're just you're just dead set. JD is going to face no competition at Mike. Is that really what you're going to say? I don't know if that's a precedent you want to set as a football coach. Yeah, you know, because. Um, you're not he's it's not like JD played great. He didn't play bad and he gets a bad rap from Notre Dame fans on they think he was bad. It wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that great was- either. He wasn't so good that you're like, well, we, you know, no one's gonna challenge him for that spot. Mm-hmm. That that concerned me a little bit. Because who's pushing for that job? Is it gonna be Nolan? Is it gonna be Jalen? You know what I mean? It- I mean, and also, I mean, it's just a general thing too, Brian. It's like, what if God forbid JD Bertrand gets hurt? or something during the game. Like, who's your mic? The guy that you've been playing at Viper all bowl practice? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't – just, yeah, it's a little puzzling, man. It's a little puzzling because, again, I, I understand that with younger players, there's going to be some mistakes, right? Like, we, we understand that. So that's that's the maturation of playing the position. But you know as well as I do, you can have as many practice reps in the world, but until you have those live bullets, those live reps, game moves a lot faster, man. Yeah. It's a different, different animal. And, I mean, again, we talked about that four-man linebacker class, which obviously includes Joshua Burnham, who's now playing Viper. At the beginning of the year, coming into the year, we were like, that foursome's probably going to be tough to keep off the field, right? And now we're sitting here in December getting ready for a bowl game where 
they barely played this year. You know, Jalen Sneed just started playing a couple games ago and has been playing just a little bit. Junior Toy Lamaka played a little bit early in the year, but now it's playing, you know, it's got to be regulated to a back of Viper. Haven't seen Nolan Ziegler. Haven't seen Joshua Burnham now at the Viper position. For a position that has struggled this year, why haven't there been a changeup to it, right? Mm-hmm. Why not throw a player in there for a few reps in a game and say, you know what? He might not be ready yet, but let's see, right? Because sometimes that light bulb turns on in a football game. It does. I'll tell you this. The first time that I really thought I could play at a decent level wasn't during a practice. Who cares about a practice? It was right. on a Friday night, you know, like seeing the lights and being able to move around and know that you belong there. That's so I, I am I am very frustrated. I'll be completely honest about it. Like I, I was excited about that four man class coming into the year before Burnham had moved, you know, from Will to Viper. And I'm just I'm very confused on why we haven't seen more of that group this year. And why they're all getting moved to Viper. Exactly. And there's been extreme, extreme inconsistencies at linebacker, and yet you haven't played much of the four man class that was the best linebacker group in the country, right? right? I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. Can't fathom it. Can't understand it. And so what are we going to see in the bowl game, Ryan? Is it going to be different or not? That's kind of the question, right? That's the thing that we need to see is whether or not that'll be different. And that's one thing I'm curious about. I think one thing that you can say is I do expect the secondary to play well. I I, I think obviously Ben Morrison was good. You're going to get Tariq Bracey back for this bowl game. You know, Jaden Mickey gets a whole month to kind of get over some of the the – way he played. I think that was a great learning experience. Look, I think Jaden Mickey's an incredibly talented player. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, incredibly confident player. He's got talent. He, he, he needed some humble pie though. And, yeah. and not so much that I want his confidence to take a step back, but more so for him to understand you could get away with just being really talented in mm-hmm. high school. You've got to be a technician in college. Yes. And I think Jaden had to learn that. And that's a good lesson to learn. Like, like that's a I mean, young guys sometimes need to have some of those failures. It's not a coincidence that Ben Morrison's great finish came right after the game where he got picked on the most against Syracuse. Yep. Because he had to learn, okay, I got to learn from my mistake and then go out and get better. So I think Jaden's going to respond very well to the way he played this year. I think the bowl game is going to be a first crack at that, you know, mm-hmm. say, hey, look, You've got confidence. You've got ability. That's why we keep putting you out there. Why do they keep putting him out there? Because they know how talented he is. But it's just – and if you watch Jaden play over the course of an entire game, he does some good things. It's just when he makes mistakes, they're big. Yes. And so it's obvious and exposed. And you're like, Mm -hmm. dude, you can't make those mistakes as a corner because that's what happens. So how does he learn from it? How does he bounce back from it? I want to see that. You know, I want to see that. I want to see how Treek does. I want to see – you know, how they're going to use Clarence Lewis and inside out type of role. So I, I think the secondary is going to do fine. I think the secondary is going to play well. It's a good matchup for him. There's some good talent on the other side of the ball. Not everyone in part of the South Carolina offense is going to be playing. Raheem Bell's not going to be playing. Austin Stogner's not going to be playing at tight end. I don't believe Josh Van is going to play. I believe the rest of their corners or receivers are set to play, right? I mean, are there any other receivers that have opted out? I don't no. think Antoine Wells has opted out, has he? I haven't seen I haven't seen that again to your point. Van is injured and the Jaheim Bell is, is obviously transferred to Florida State and Stockner's transferred back to Oklahoma. So those right. are the only three that I know of. Marshawn, Marshawn Lloyd, Lloyd is yeah, he is uh he has 
he's transferring out, so he won't be playing in the game. But I believe Antoine Wells will be playing. I have not seen him uh, opting out. I don't believe he, he, he's a good football player too. So he is. They've got some good weapons left. You know, Jalen Brooks is a good football player. You know, they, he 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 can, he's going to get a chance to play. And there's some younger guys that played that are good players. They were just buried behind other good players. So there's weapons on the perimeter for South Carolina. Mm-hmm. The secondary is going to have to be on top of their game. So it's going to be a good test for them. But I think they'll play well. It's yeah. going to be about do they turn the front seven loose? Because the one thing about this game, Ryan, is Notre Dame's rush defense this year was weird. <laughs> I mean, it was weird. There were times when it was really, really good. You know, they went through a stretch from the September 24th to Boston College against uh, in November where they only allowed in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, they only allowed. And really, if you look at the Cal game, so really in the September 17th, so a stretch, a stretch of nine, nine games against eight non-option opponents, they allowed 112, 66, 164, 97, 146, half of that came on one run, mm-hmm. 61, 90, and 56. And then they come out, and that's bookend by a terrible game against Marshall, which followed a terrible second half of run defense against Ohio State and ended with pretty bad run defense against USC. Like there was no happy medium with the rush no. defense. No. And and that's going to be a, a, a concern in this game, Ryan, is you cannot allow South Carolina to run the football in this game for two reasons. Number one, they're not good at it. So it's a really bad sign if they're running the football. They only averaged 123 yards all season. At one point in time, Jaheim Bell was their starting running back, basically, because Marshawn Lloyd was hurt. So Marshawn Lloyd rushed for 573 yards this year and averaged 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, nine touchdowns in nine games, 573 yards. He's gone. Their number two leading rusher was Jaheim Bell, who's a tight end who ran for 261 yards, averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Their next top running back is Juju McDowell, uh, who rushed for 191 yards. And then they have Christian Beal-Smith, who transferred from Wake Forest uh, this season. He's okay. You know, he's had 700 yards in the past, 600 yards in the past. He's okay. There's a reason he transferred to South Carolina and didn't do anything as opposed to staying at Wake Forest. So point is, there's they're not very good running football. No. And you've got to make them one-dimensional. So this is going to – and we'll talk more about this in specific. So what I want to see is a run defense that's aggressive, which you know, which then leads to if you're running through gaps and they pass and you run through the lane to the quarterback. Sure. I don't want to see a sit-back, occupy type of scheme. I want to see an aggressive get-after-the-quarterback scheme, which yes. I kind of thought we saw against B.C., you know, we've seen at times. I thought they were aggressive at, at times this year when they were. When he turned the, when he turned these kids loose, they were really good. Mm-hmm. That's when we saw stretches of really good football. But the run defense is just was really puzzling to me. And this is a team that's not good at running football. They're not. So. And, the, and the other thing too, Brian, is I agree. I think the secondary is going to do well in this football game. But when Spencer Rattler is protected, he can tear you apart a little bit, man. Yeah. Like he's 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 a talented thrower of the football. Just. We talked about the the. I mean, he, seven of his eleven interceptions have literally come against pressure, right? Like that's right. that's that's where that were, that's where all falls apart for right. Spencer Rattler. Right. So not not only in the run game being able to you know get that penetration and to be able to slow it down early on in reps, but to also get after that kid because again, I mean, 
You saw it against Tennessee, right? Where if you're not pressuring a kid like the Spencer Rattler, he can have that one abnormal game where he just tears you apart and you just right. can't seem to stop him. Because there was a reason why he was highly coveted at one point, why he was, did have a reputation, why there was people that were excited he about it. Put up it. some pretty good numbers in his first year as a starter at Oklahoma. Not great, exactly. but pretty good numbers. Yeah, pretty good for, for a redshirt freshman. Like it was it was pretty good stuff. And we've seen when he's right and when he's not under duress, he has his moments. It's just right. we know that when he does get duress, he does not well, have any moments. That's just where it comes down to. Here to, to back up your point. Yeah. When he was kept clean, Spencer Rattler completed 78.4% of his passes, 9.0 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns, four picks. Compare that to C.J. Stroud, who completed 71.2% of his passes, 10.2 yards per attempt, and then Caleb Williams, who completed 71% of his passes for 9.2 yards per attempt. Now, those guys turned the ball over less and had more touchdowns, but they also threw the ball a lot more right, than, than him. So he had 283 dropbacks. C.J. Stroud was 299. Bad league. Caleb Williams had 337. So they dropped back a little bit more. Different systems, different players around him. I like the receivers at South Carolina. They're not as good as the kids at Ohio State. No. Not as good as the kids at USC. I mean, there's a lot of other factors, but the completion percentage and the yards per attempt is the numbers I look at. They're very mm-hmm. comparable with C.J. Williams and 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 uh, and uh, uh, C.J. Stroud. And then I'm going to pull up uh, I'm going to pull up Drake Mays here real quick as well, just to to add him into the conversation. Since again, we are talking about the top quarterbacks in their name is face this year. Drake may was 76.2% completions, 9.3 yards per attempt. So his completion percentage was better than all of them. And his yards per attempt was right there with most of them. Yeah. So yes, he can pick you apart, you know, mm-hmm. now he doesn't throw the deep ball a ton. Yeah. At least he didn't for much of the year, but when he did, I mean, he was over 50% throwing outside right and left, you know? So, so he's going to, he's going to take some shots. You know, they, they took, Looking at this here, they took uh, 50 deep shots this year, right? Yeah. And so uh, when he's pressured, he gets those balls out. It's really pretty. But it's going to be a lot of short intermediate stuff is kind of what they do, which then is kind of their way of protecting against not having a running game, mm-hmm. right? And so if he's rattled, he will miss some of those throws as well, Ryan. He will throw one into the dirt. He will sail one into the sidelines if you are hitting him consistently. Yeah. And so that, that factors into it as well. So basically, I just want to see – Al Golden say, we're going to attack this dude. We're going to attack this offense. We're going to turn our kids loose. We're going to play our younger guys. If that means I can't put as much volume in, fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you're playing a team without their starting tailback, two of their starting – their two top two tight ends, and one of their top three receivers aren't playing. Okay? If you don't have enough faith in your kids to go out there and attack, then what are we doing here? Right. You know? Exactly. Well, you know, we, we got to recruit better players. Well, you just recruited the best linebacker class in the country. Then if you need think you need better players, then play them. <laughs> right? Uh, play them. Right? So, I mean, there's no there's no excuses for it. So, let turn the kids loose because that's really the key on defense, Ryan, is, is, you know, we can get into specifics of it. And we will as we get closer to the game, get specific matchups. But this is going to tell me a lot bigger picture about what Al Golden believes was the reason the defense did not maximize its potential this season, or if he actually thinks they did. Because some mm-hmm. coaches convinced themselves of this. We Notre Dame had a head coach of this for 12 years. That whenever things went wrong, it was never him. Right. It was the talent. It was the players. Is Al Golden that way, or is he a guy that has enough self-reflection to say, you know, I did some re- – because here's what a good coach would do. You know what? We did some really good things this year. We're going to build on those good things this year. 
Yes. But we weren't good enough over here. Yes. And this is what I need to do to fix it. No doubt. Right? Now, sometimes it is legitimate to say we're not good enough there. Notre Dame's not good enough a quarterback right now to be a championship caliber football team. They're not. It's okay to say that, and it's not negative to the kids. I love Drew Pine. But mm-hmm. what did we say about Drew Pine before the year? He's the kind of kid that'll get you to 10 and 2, but he's not going to beat the best teams on your schedule with any kind of consistency. Yep. Right. And what did Drew Pine do as a starter this year? It was 8 and 2. You know, I mean, that's who he is. But that's not the standard at Notre Dame. The standard is to, to compete for and win championships. And defensively, we can say they did a lot of good things this year. They were the reason we said it at the beginning of the show. They were the reason Notre Dame won some of the games they won. Mm-hmm. They also did step up and make plays in some of the games they lost. Let's they, they did a lot of good things against Stanford, but the offense gave you the lead back late in the early in the fourth quarter, and you allowed Stanford to go right down the field and get a field goal to get the lead back. That's on you. Yeah, that's not on them, right? Your offense turns the ball over. It's not your fault, but you let USC go right down the field and score easily. That's on you. It's not mm-hmm. on them. It's on you. And there were times there was too many times like that this year. You know, where like they okay, you got to really step up. And in past years, they would step up in those moments. Mm-hmm. And this year, they didn't. He's got to be able to look at that and say, okay, here's what we do. Some really good stuff here. There's some really good players here. What do I got to do to make sure we're getting the most out of them? And what did I what did I do during the season that prevented that? And what are the things I did during the season that allowed that when we did to have success? And that's what I like about bowl games, Ryan, because it allows you to take a step back. Do a lot more self-scouting than you can on a normal work week because it's hard to self-scout during the season. It is. It's hard to self-scout because by Sunday you're watching the film. By Sunday night, you're implementing your game plan for next week. It's hard to find that window to do real self-scouting. That's why bye weeks are great for that. But that's why bowl games are great for that too. And that's what I want to see from the defense in this game, right? Yeah, it's going to be, again, I think a lot of evidence on growth in this game is what I'm going to be looking at. So you talk, we talked a lot about Al Golden. I want to see some adjustments made. I want to see guys let loose. And I honestly, Brian, like I just, I've been so excited about some of these younger players that we hear about, right? The Jalen Sneeds of the world, the Nolan Ziegler's, the junior to Lamacas, the Joshua Burnham's, the Tyson Ford's, the Aiden Gobiras. There's a lot of guys that we hear a lot of about, but I haven't seen it, right? I want to see. I want to see what they have there. You know, like I just mm-hmm. want to be able to see what they have to work with because that whole, you know, oh, you don't have you don't have the, uh, the guys in the room. That, that stuff is void when you have guys like Prince Collie and Jalen Sneed in that room, right? Like that's not an excuse. Right. There's no excuse. So I want to see some guys excited to play football for one. Tyson Ford's another one. Yes. Yep. Yep. Tyson Ford. I want to see some of those guys be able to have an opportunity to see what they have, to see what they've been working on, to see what growth they've had. And for his own personal growth as a play caller, you know, all those things I think is presenting a big opportunity in this football game for the defensive side of the football, because I think there is a underselling of how much talent is in that room sometimes. Cause it's, yes, it played well in a lot of stretches of the season, but there's still a step up that needs to take a massive one that it can still take. Cause I think it's a very talented room. Yeah. And I think that they have an opportunity against an sec team that has some speed in certain spots that has a quarterback that can do damage. If he's given, you know, if he's protected correctly, you have a challenge in front of you. And that's why I think that it's a great opportunity for Al golden to show that he has his personal growth 
along with the growth of the players aside from him, obviously, as well. So we'll we'll see how it plays out, right? And that's going to be kind of what we want to see from those guys. And that's going to wrap up this portion of the show. We're going to do a mailbag next because we do have some questions in the mailbag. But uh, it it is going to be interesting. And, you know, to wrap up your last point, Ryan, is you can't say entirely that, well, it's not – it's just the talent's not there. we got to do a better job recruiting because you just landed one of your best defensive classes in years. Guys that you as a staff personally identified as guys they want, right? When Marcus Freeman came on, Tyson Ford became an immediate priority. Aiden Gobier became an immediate priority. Junior Tui Alamaka became an immediate priority. Jaden Mickey, Jalen Sneed, all those guys became immediate priorities. These are the guys that you wanted. You were the one that went and convinced, you know, Josh Burnham to not go to Michigan and come to Notre Dame, right? So these were your handpicked guys. The only the only commits, Benjamin Morrison's another, the only commits that they inherited, I believe, was Nolan Ziegler and Donovan Heinish were really the only ones that were more uh, by coaches and weren't here. And we've heard really good things about Donovan Heinish. He's just probably a uh, probably year away, like not this year, but like next year, maybe competing just because, of, you know, he's got to add some size and some strength, but I've heard a lot of good things about what he's done in, in, uh, on the scout team. So like, these are the dudes you recruited. These are not guys you inherited. These are guys you recruited. So you can't say, what are you going to say? Hey, Marcus, you did a bad job giving me players, man. No, you got to say, look, if the system we're playing is too complex to get the clearly the most athletic guys we have on the field, on the field or on the roster, on the field, then they're not the problem. Your system is. That's the life of college football. Here's the reality of it, Ryan. In this era of transfer portal and NIL, if you can't get younger players in the field, you're not doing it right, especially at Notre Dame where they are going to try to really force that we're going to be a developed pro developmental program, not the way that Brian Kelly meant it, where kids need three, four, five years, but meaning you're going to be a recruit kids, develop them, go play. You've got to be able to find a way to speed up the developmental process on both sides of the ball. You can't have years where your stud top 50 player receiver, Tobias Merriweather, comes in and catches one ball, right? Right. You can't have situations where Jalen Sneed can't sit get, be on the field. You've mm-hmm. got to find ways to get that kid on the field. You've got to find ways to get Josh Burnham on the field some way, somehow. Now, you know, maybe you could justify a Josh Burnham because he was making a position switch. And my understanding is Josh was okay redshirting because of the position switch. So there are sure. circumstances like that. But mm-hmm. I know for a fact Jalen Sneed wasn't happy about not playing. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you know, yes, you got Benjamin Morrison on the field and you got Jaden Mickey on the field. So you showed that you can do it. But you've got to do more of it, and and you've yep. got to make sure that your scheme is tailored to where you can get younger players in the field, and and you know not keep not to keep them happy, but because mm-hmm. you're recruiting dudes, getting them on the field, and being willing to say, hey, I can live with Jalen Sneed making a couple mistakes every game because I also know he's going to make some plays. Right. That's you have to learn to live with that, and what can you do to protect against some of those mistakes? Right. You have to do that in college. You have to find more ways to get your younger players in the field, meaning first one and two year players. And at some positions, they're doing it running back corner. Right. Positions where I feel like they have big time position. Dylan McCullough is excellent. He's excellent coach. Mm -hmm. Those sophomore running backs did not play like sophomores most of the year. They play like vets. Right. Uh, Jadarian Price had a great spring under. I mean, he. I was told by sources in their name that he was their best back in the spring. Not Logan Diggs, not Aldrick Estime, not Chris Tyree. Janarian Price before the injury. Mm-hmm. Great coach. Why were the freshman quarters able to get, get ready to play? 
great coach and one of the best in the business, in my opinion. Linebacker, not so much. D-line, mm-hmm. questionable right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that I need that we need to see, Ryan, is, you know, Harry Heastan takes two true sophomores and turns them into, you know, one's a bona fide, legitimate All-American, first or second team with everybody. The other mm-hmm. one, at times, played like an All-American, certainly a freshman mm-hmm. All-American caliber player. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why? Great coach. Mm-hmm. So either Marcus needs to hire better coaches, at some of those positions or B those guys need to understand that the game has changed. Yeah. The game has changed. The portal and, and, and NIL is here. Mm-hmm. Now I want to see changes to the system, but they're not until their changes, the, those changes come, you have to live with the reality, not what you wish it would be, but what it is. Mm-hmm. And that reality is Notre Dame is not going to be in a position to go out there and load up on transfers. They're not. That means their young players are their transfers. The freshman class is their transfer portal, so to speak. So you've got to make sure you have a system that's geared towards making sure those guys can come in and play right away. Not always the starters. I got 11 freshman starters on defense, but they've got to be able to play. You've got to be able to have a system where Peyton Bowen can step on the field as a starter as a freshman, where Benjamin Morrison can step on the field as a starter as a freshman, but also one where Jalen Sneed can do it. Jaden Osbury can do it. Drake Bowen can do it, right? That's going to be the key. And right now, I don't know if they have that system when it comes to front seven players. They have it in the secondary because they're not a real complex team defensively coverage-wise. They they do a lot of things with looks and disguising looks, right? But they don't run a lot of different coverages. Mm-hmm. They just say, hey, Benjamin, go be a dude. <laughs> and guess what, Ryan? He was a dude. Yeah. Maybe apply that at some other positions. And that's my point. Yeah. You know, that's the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's all very fair. You know, we, we've seen some contributions and I, I also think Brian that you've seen the best teams in college football over the last few years. You think of the Alabamas, the Georges, the Clemsons, like those teams, they're also not afraid to play freshmen. Right. Right. We've talked about that a ton. I mean, yeah, they're dudes obviously, but you know, Jerry Judy comes in and Jerry Judy's too good to not to play, you know, even Christian Harris, who was not nearly as good as that type of player, but Christian Harris played early on in his Alabama career because he was too good not to play for Alabama. Georgia, we've seen it. You know, like Akili Ringo's a richer freshman, but you see this year a Malachi Starks comes in, and the Malachi Starks is just too good not to play. Like that's just the point blank period to it. So the best coaches, I believe, yes, sure, you know, understand the system, be a part of the machine, all that stuff. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to recognize, identify talent and say, you know what? He might not be able to do X, Y, and Z right now, but he can do A, B, and C, and I can ask them to do that stuff, and I can accentuate those strengths. That's all I want from this program, you know, to be able to understand what a player does well. And even if it's in a simplified, very niche role early on, to be able to use them, use them in that type of role. So mm-hmm. I think that you have the players where you can – simplify and give them a role early on. And if we're in game 13 now and it hasn't happened and it doesn't happen against South Carolina, I am going to have some doubts because there's talent on this team that is just being underutilized right now. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. Ryan, that was good. Good conversation. I enjoyed that very much. So we're going to we're gonna dive into mailbag here in a second. Let's get those questions going. There's a lot of great conversation during the show during the chat, but not a ton of questions. So go ahead and get those questions in. Or if you don't have a lot of questions, that's cool. Maybe we answered it all during the show. Before we get to the mailbag, everybody, hit that like button. 
hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the message boards, the boards at irishbreakdown.com. I'm going to put something up on the board later today. That's just going to, Ryan and I are going to talk and we're just going to compare notes and all the intel we've had and just kind of say, okay, week from signing day, here's everything we know and here's where everything stands and just here's here's what's BS, here's what's legit and here's the scoop that we have heading into signing day. So uh, we'll have that up here on the message board. That's for premium members only. So that's uh, at boards at archbreakdown.com. If you haven't signed up yet, you're missing out. You really are. So uh, just thinking about kind of how we've grown over the last year, we added over 2,000 subscribers from where we were a year ago at this particular time. So uh, I was just thinking about that because I was like, you know, where we were last December when Kelly left and when Freeman's hired is like the site just kind of really took off. Our, our We doubled our, almost doubled our memberships on our subscribers on YouTube. We've gone from a little over 600 to over 2,600. Well, we're actually over 2,800, but there are some, PayPal people that will lapse at some point in time. So I don't really count them yet because I need to see that they're going to rip just how the numbers work, but we're technically right now over 2000 new members since last December. So it's been great growth. Uh, and, uh, it's been a lot of fun, uh, still a lot of good conversation, a lot of scoop, a lot of people panicking right now, which we understand, get it. Uh, can't wait for signing day to be over with, but a uh, lot of Intel. A lot of intel. So we'll have all of that here uh, coming up here very soon on the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. And of course, as always, make sure that you're still locked into our main page, which is irishbreakdown.com. 